This is the Humanist Report with Mike Figueredo. Welcome to the Humanist Report. My name is Mike Figueredo, and this is the 62nd episode of the podcast. Before we get started, I have several new people to thank for joining the independent media revolution. Today we have James Leonard, Clifford Chaleneur, both became new members on humanistreport.com. We also have Michael G., who became a Patreon patron and a member. And then we have Julia Russell, Andrew Boyd, Robert Lemons. All of these people are new members as well. And then on Patreon, we have Joshua Hart, who's a new Patreon patron, as well as Ashley Schneider, who just decided to become a Patreon patron as well. So thank you to all of these individuals for deciding to join the independent progressive media revolution. If you too would like to be a part of this movement, then visit the links down below in the description box. But so long as you tune in every single week, that's all I can ever ask or hope for. Now, if you decide to order one of these new shirts that will be available soon in the Human Support store, tweet me a picture at Humanist Report using the hashtag TheHumanistReport, and I will retweet it and share it on the show and thank you at the beginning, just as I thank these other individuals, because when you buy one of these shirts from The Humanist Report, you also support the show, because we make commission off of every shirt sale through our partner, uh, Spreadshirt, who we use to fulfill all of these orders. Now, also, you can email me, mike at humanistreport.com, with you wearing a picture of one of our shirts, and I'm excited. Let's get this ball rolling, because I know several of you have purchased shirts recently uh but i'd love to see if you like them um how does it look because i ordered one myself to see if it looks good and the quality is it's pretty good i was i was afraid i didn't want to like sell you guys too hard on the shirts until i got to see them myself and i like the quality so um you know do that if you also want to support the show. So coming up in this episode, I'll discuss the DNC's legal defense in the class action lawsuit against them, FBI Director James Comey's impartiality, and the aftermath of Elizabeth Warren publicly shaming the CEO of Wells Fargo. Additionally, Hillary Clinton brings out Bernie to help win over millennials. So I'll talk about that as well as his message to Bernie or Busters. And also on this episode, lack of support from another demographic besides millennials also threatens Hillary Clinton's chances. Also on this episode, Pepe the Frog is now labeled a hate symbol by the ADL. So I'll discuss the implications of that. And finally, I'll provide you with updates about the Standing Rock protests and the Flint, Michigan water crisis, as well as nationwide prison protests. So all of these topics will be covered in this week's episode. There's a lot more topics than I usually do, but I'm trying to push the envelope because there's a lot of things that I want to talk about. And as we move away from the election in a couple of months here, I want to make sure that we have a really strong footing in issues that are impacting the country besides the election. So I hope you guys enjoy the show. So I've been trying to keep you guys up to date on the major class action lawsuit against the DNC filed by more than 100 Bernie Sanders supporters that recently moved forward. But to give you the context, Bernie Sanders supporters are suing the DNC, alleging that they were defrauded, seeing that they donated to a candidate that was running in a process that was inherently unfair because the DNC violated their own charter, specifically Article 5, Section 4, which maintains that the organization must remain neutral. Further, the former DNC chair, Debbie Wasserman Schultz, who resigned in disgrace, 
constantly maintained that the DNC was in fact neutral. The Democratic National Committee remains neutral in this primary based on our rules. Now we all know that the DNC in fact was not neutral, one, because Debbie Wasserman Schultz was the co-chair of Hillary Clinton's 2008 campaign and the massive dump of internal DNC emails released by WikiLeaks revealed that the DNC wasn't just biased against Bernie Sanders, but they actively tried to sabotage his campaign in order to help Hillary Clinton. So Bernie Sanders supporters are now rightfully suing because they are owed compensation. Observer explains DNC attorneys claim Bernie Sanders campaign contributors donated knowing the DNC favored Hillary Clinton. As proof, they cite the Facebook profile of Rick Washick, who signed a petition prior to donating to Sanders in support of DNC chair Debbie Wasserman Schultz resigning from her position at the DNC. Also cited are Rosalie Consiglio and Catherine Psycho, who posted articles on Facebook accusing the DNC of bias before donating to the Sanders campaign anyway. Citing these individuals and others who donated to Sanders after complaining about DNC bias, the DNC lawyer's motion to dismiss the lawsuit claimed, this sample demonstrates that, aside from not being actionable, Plaintiff's theory that donors relied upon defendant's statements about neutrality to make donations they would not have otherwise made is not plausible. Their argument is that because Sanders supporters knew the DNC was biased against their favorite candidate and donated to his campaign anyway, the lawsuit should be thrown out. This blew my mind when I read it. I know I'm late to the party on this and you guys probably already heard about this story, but I had to share it. They're admitting that they were biased. This is really the first that we've heard from the DNC. I mean, this is their attorneys, but everyone was silent on it. Uh, Debbie Wasserman Schultz never spoke about it, even though she had to resign in disgrace because she was trying to sabotage Bernie Sanders' campaign. Donald Trump brought it up to Hillary Clinton at the debate about how she hired Debbie Wasserman Schultz, he implied that, and how they actively tried to sabotage Bernie Sanders' campaign, and she was completely silent about it. So this is really the first time that we're seeing them admit that yes, we were biased, and you knew that when you donated, but you donated anyway. Unbelievable. Now, let me explain this. It's not about whether or not we knew that the DNC was biased, because that was unquestionable even before the DNC leaks. What it's about is the fact that you were biased to begin with, because it's in your own charter, Article 5, Section 4, Google it, DNC people, that states that you have to be impartial, but you weren't. So it doesn't matter if we knew or not. The fact that you weren't impartial, the fact that you actively tried to sabotage Bernie Sanders' campaign is all that matters. So no, the lawsuit should not be thrown out. In fact, it should go through and you should be sued. And every single Bernie Sanders supporter who donated to Act Blue should be compensated. Now, there's a second aspect to their defense, which is also ridiculous. So the DNC attorneys also claimed the lawsuit should be thrown out under the grossly generalized assumption that most people who donated to Sanders would not support the lawsuit seeking damages for the DNC and Wasserman Schultz favoring Clinton, the vast majority of whom almost certainly do not share plaintiff's political views, have no realistic means of disassociating from this action. 
brought in their name against the political party they likely support, wrote the lawyers, who had the audacity to claim those Sanders supporters have their First Amendment rights violated by being included in the class action lawsuit. The attorneys also argued that the hackers who released DNC documents were Russian without providing any evidence for their claims. Are you guys really lawyers? Like, I can't believe that you went to law school because that's not how class action lawsuits work. It, if you're representing a class, that just means that this group of people constitute a class that is a class of Bernie Sanders supporters. Now, the court has yet to determine whether or not Bernie Sanders supporters would be designated as a class. But even if there's just a small portion of Bernie Sanders supporters that want this lawsuit to go through, the DNC defrauded thousands, millions of people potentially. And they should be sued for that. How does that get you out of this? And furthermore, I don't give a shit if it was Russia, if it was China, or anyone else who hacked the DNC. I'm not condoning hacking, but by blaming Russia, you're just trying to avert attention away from your guilt. See, you shouldn't be blaming other people because you were caught with your pants down. If you didn't have your pants down in the first place, you would have never been caught. So this is one of the most ridiculous legal defenses I've ever heard. This will go right up there with the Twinkie defense. You can Google that. And now the Subway defense with Jared. You can Google that as well. Just absolutely absurd. And nobody in the mainstream media is covering this when really this is a huge case. But, I mean, the election is still going on. And we don't want to hurt Hillary Clinton, right? Because she's just so innocent. She's so perfect. And Donald Trump is so horrible that we should allow the DNC to be able to defraud their supporters and let them get away with it. I don't think so. This is the legal argument the DNC knew that their lawyers would be making, and they knew it would be public while the DNC and Hillary Clinton is simultaneously trying to court over the millennial voters, most of which were screwed over by the DNC. And they're okay with that. So we've got multiple responses. So on the debate stage, Hillary Clinton refused to address the DNC bias that favored her. Debbie Wasserman Schultz outright denied it. And the new DNC chair, Donna Brazile, has done nothing to bring back the voters that her predecessor disenfranchised. And now the DNC's lawyers are just straight up admitting they were guilty as their legal defense. So this just further proves how incompetent this organization and the aggregate Democratic Party is. If you can't even get on the same page for a lawsuit and all have the same story, you have one person denying it, one person not talking about it, uh, the lawyers admitting guilt. I mean, it's just astonishing to me. So this organization is complete and utterly incompetent, in addition to them just being fraudulent as well. So, uh, sorry, this legal defense is complete bullshit. You should be sued. It doesn't matter whether or not we knew. It's the fact that you did the crime and violated your own charter and defrauded us. And it doesn't matter how many Bernie Sanders supporters want this lawsuit to go forward. If you would poll them, I would guarantee the overwhelming majority would support this lawsuit because they do feel as though they were defrauded, even if they are supporting Hillary Clinton now. So please spare me. This is such a terrible legal defense, and the DNC really should find some new attorneys if they actually want a chance at beating this case. FBI Director James Comey went before the House Judiciary Committee and he defended Hillary Clinton and disregarded evidence which suggested that her IT guy tried to go to Reddit to cover her tracks. Now, let me remind you that he did all of this while insisting that the FBI was an impartial organization. So Politico explains, 
You can call us wrong, but don't call us weasels. We are not weasels, Comey declared Wednesday at a House Judiciary Committee hearing. We are honest people, and whether or not you agree with the result, this was done the way you want it to be done. The normally stoic FBI chief grew emotional and emphatic as he rejected claims from Republican lawmakers that the FBI was essentially in the tank for Clinton when it recommended that neither she nor any of her aides be prosecuted in connection with the presence of classified information on Clinton's private email server. He acknowledged he has no patience for such allegations. I knew there were going to be all kinds of rocks thrown, but this organization and the people who did this are honest, independent people. We do not carry water for one side or the other. That's hard for people to see because so much of our country, we see things through sides, Comey said. We are not on anybody's side. Can you explain then why Brian Nemeshira, who did exactly what Hillary Clinton did, was prosecuted? but Hillary Clinton was not prosecuted? See, what you've done is set up a two-tier justice system where the poor will be prosecuted if they commit crimes, and the rich won't even be indicted. So the elites and the powerful people that live in this country can get away with anything they want to. And poor people, like usual, will be punished to the fullest extent of the law. That's not impartiality, and yes, you are weasels. Now, I'm not alleging that James Comey and the FBI is in the tank for Hillary Clinton, but he is holding her to a different standard because she's powerful. Now, here's what else we know. Hillary and Bill Clinton are as entrenched as you can be within the Washington political establishment, and they have friends in every single government agency. And look, there were a lot of suspicious things that went on prior to the announcement of your decision to not recommend an indictment, such as the private meeting that Bill Clinton held with Attorney General Loretta Lynch. Now, in spite of all of this, Comey still maintains that the FBI did not treat Hillary Clinton different. Comey insisted there is no double standard, though he said there would be serious consequences short of criminal prosecution if FBI personnel handled classified information as Clinton and her aides did. What that is, James Comey, is called a contradiction. See, you chose not to do anything to Hillary Clinton. She didn't even get a slap on the wrist. So you just admitted there that, yes, if someone else did what Hillary Clinton did, there would be consequences. And this is what you said during the announcement where you said you would not recommend an indictment of Hillary. To be clear, this is not to suggest that in similar circumstances, a person who engaged in this activity would face no consequences. To the contrary. Those individuals are often subject to security or administrative sanctions, but that's not what we're deciding now. We're not claiming that you're in the tank for Hillary Clinton or that you were bought off by Hillary Clinton or that there is some kind of quid pro quo. What we're saying is that because she's an oligarch, you're holding her to a different standard than everyone else. Take a look at a video that I covered a couple of months ago. In 2015, a naval reservist named Brian Nishimura also mishandled classified information. So according to the FBI, Nishimura had access to classified briefings and digital records that could only be retained and viewed on authorized government computers. Nishimura, however, caused the materials to be downloaded and stored on his personal, unclassified electronic devices and storage media. He carried such classified materials on his unauthorized media when he traveled off-base in Afghanistan and ultimately carried those materials back to the United States. 
United States at the end of his deployment. In the United States, Nishimura continued to maintain the information on unclassified systems in unauthorized locations and copied the materials onto at least one additional unauthorized and unclassified system. Nishimura's actions came to light in early 2012 when he admitted to naval personnel that he had handled classified materials inappropriately. Nishimura later admitted that, following his statement to naval personnel, he destroyed a large quantity of classified materials he had maintained in his home. Despite that, when the Federal Bureau of Investigation searched Nishimura's home in May 2012, agents recovered numerous classified materials in digital and hard copy forms. The investigation did not reveal evidence that Nishimura intended to distribute classified information to unauthorized personnel. I'm going to read that last part again. The investigation did not reveal evidence that Nishimura intended to distribute classified information to unauthorized personnel. So there are many parallels here between this and the Hillary Clinton case. Was he extremely careless? Sure, you can say that. Uh, he destroyed a large quantity of classified materials, same like Hillary Clinton deleted thousands of emails. Uh, he also mishandled classified information by storing it on devices that weren't secure. Uh, and like Hillary Clinton, he did not intend to distribute classified information. So the question is, what happened to Brian Nishimura? Well, not only was it recommended that he be indicted, but he was indicted and he was prosecuted and charged. So he was put on probation for two years uh, and he was fined $7,500. So by not recommending an indictment of Hillary Clinton, this illustrates that, you know, guilt, it doesn't necessarily matter so much as your status does. So after watching that video, you have to come out and explain that if there's no double standard, why is it that the FBI chose to prosecute Brian Nimashira? but let Hillary Clinton go. They couldn't even recommend an indictment. It's not up to the FBI to prosecute Hillary Clinton, nor is it even within the realm of their responsibility to indict her. All they can do is tell the Justice Department, yes, you should indict her. That's it. They could just make a recommendation, and you didn't even do that in spite of the evidence. Yet, Brian Nimashira was prosecuted. There is a double standard. I don't care what you say. Now, last week, I told you guys about how Hillary Clinton's IT guy, Paul Combetta, took to Reddit to cover up Hillary Clinton's tracks for her. And again, we have yet to confirm whether or not this is, in fact, Paul Combetta, even though the evidence is overwhelming. But this is what James Comey said about that. The FBI concluded that a computer technician working on Clinton's email was not engaged in an illicit cover-up when he asked on the Reddit website for a tool that could delete a VIP email address throughout a large file, FBI Director James Comey said Wednesday. Comey said he wasn't sure whether the FBI knew about the Reddit posting when prosecutors granted Combetta immunity to get statements from him about what transpired. However, he added that such a deletion wouldn't automatically be considered an effort to destroy evidence. Not necessarily. It would depend what his intention was and why he wanted to do it, the FBI director said. Well, of course you have to grant Hillary Clinton and her IT guys deference because... She's an oligarch, and they were representing her, but when it comes to people like Brian Nimashira, who's just a peasant, well, you have to expect that they were trying to distribute classified information with the intent to harm the United States, even though you claim there's no intent there for him. But it only matters if other people don't have intent, not when Hillary Clinton has intent. So, I mean, this just demonstrates that powerful people can do incredibly shady things and get away with it. And now, of course, Democratic Party loyalists are saying, look, 
it's over. This is just a Republican witch hunt because, surprise, surprise, guess who else, quote, lost 22,000 emails and had their own private email server? George W. Bush. So checkmate, progressives. What are you going to do now? Are you going to join the Republicans and continue this right-wing witch hunt against Hillary Clinton? See, you think that there's a double standard there and that people only care about Hillary Clinton's emails because they hate her. But when it comes to George Bush, you think that we're willing to give him a pass. But if that's the response, then you have the incorrect response. I don't care about your party affiliation. I, like many other liberals, dislike the fact that we live in an oligarchy with a two-tier justice system where these powerful elites that are too big to jail can get away with anything. So I don't give a shit if you're a Republican or a Democrat. This is bigger than that. This is about American justice. So my opinion on Clinton's emails remains exactly the same. I'm not saying that what Hillary Clinton did was a jailable or even prosecutable offense. I'm just saying that she should have been indicted so that the way the evidence can be heard before a judge. And guess what? Since this information about George Bush has come to light, I think he should be investigated and potentially indicted as well. The correct response from progressives is not to say, well, I have to back off of this email scandal now because George Bush did it too, so I'm backed into a corner. No! Indict them all! Indict anyone who wants to break the laws. I don't care if you're rich or poor. We have to treat everyone the same way. That's where the double standard comes in. That's what's wrong. That's our contention. This is bigger than Hillary Clinton. This is bigger than this election. If you break the laws, like these Wall Street crooks, like many CEOs, you have to go to jail. We have to treat everyone the same way. That's the point, but we're not doing that. By letting Hillary Clinton get a pass, by not recommending an indictment, you're saying that the rich elites in this country can do what they want, and that sets an example to many of them that they can do what they want, hence why they do what the fuck they want to do. But poor people, if you break the law, you're going to get locked up, you're going to go straight to jail. And it's wrong. It's completely wrong. So this isn't about Democrats or Republicans. This is about rich versus poor. This is about class differences and how the U.S. has further become an oligarchy where we allow our elites to get away with anything. We allow George W. Bush to get away with war crimes. President Obama did nothing. And now we're allowing George W. Bush and Hillary Clinton to get away with being incredibly suspicious so that way they can hide their emails so that way it won't be subject to FOIA requests. Bullshit. If you're going to try to break the law, then I think that you should at least be indicted. That's what this is about. It's bigger than this election. It's bigger than any party. So last week, I talked about how Elizabeth Warren publicly criticized the Wells Fargo CEO for committing fraud. And, you know, I was kind of a negative Nancy. I wasn't particularly impressed by what she did. Here's what I had to say. It's, it doesn't mean very much to me anymore. When I see Elizabeth Warren railing against the big ba banks, it doesn't mean what it once meant to me. I looked at Elizabeth Warren as a leader and thought, this is someone who I can trust. She really wants change. She's going to stand up against Wall Street corruption. But I mean, when push comes to shove, she showed that she doesn't have the spine to actually fight for these things. So, I mean... If this is all that we're going to get from Elizabeth Warren, then cool, but I don't really think you're courageous. So now, to kind of give you guys a follow-up, even though I wasn't really impressed, it does look like John Stumpf, Wells Fargo CEO, will be facing consequences. Now, it may just be a slap on the wrist, but nonetheless, it's still consequences. Huffington Post explains, for the first time since the financial crisis, a big bank is publicly forcing its CEO to give up a small part of his millions in salary and stock, making him take at least some symbolic personal responsibility for misconduct. 
Wells Fargo CEO and chairman John Stumpf will forfeit $41 million in unvested stock, give up his $2.8 million annual salary for a time, and get no bonus this year, the bank announced Tuesday in the wake of a massive scandal. Stumpf is hardly at risk of homelessness, though. He still has his job, much to the consternation of critics, and another $247 million in Wells Fargo stock he's accumulated. So, I mean, is there some consequences that he's going to face? Yeah, you know, but this isn't huge. And even Elizabeth Warren, thankfully, is admitting that this isn't what he deserves. She tweeted out uh, saying this is a small step in the right direction, but nowhere near real accountability. And she's right there. She also said CEO Stumpf will be just fine. He keeps his job and most of the money he made while massive fraud went on under his nose. Yep. So, I mean, this this begs the question, is what Elizabeth Warren actually did important? Or is it, like I kind of implied, nothing more than political theater? Well, I think that I have to walk back the comments that I made last week because clearly it's more than political theater because this was a PR disaster for Wells Fargo. And even if it's not a lot, it did lead to some consequences. So it is more than political theater. But is it as important as getting systemic change and stopping them from doing this in the first place no it's not and i'm gonna beat that dead horse again and say that if elizabeth warren really wanted to change the system and prevent these ceos from committing fraud she could have endorsed bernie sanders but instead she chose to distance herself from bernie at a pivotal time during the massachusetts primary not endorse him and instead at the first opportunity that it was politically expedient for her she endorsed hillary clinton so I can't help but be frustrated with Elizabeth Warren right now because if you really wanted real change, you can't tell me, Elizabeth, that you believe Hillary Clinton is going to be a catalyst for change. Come on. No. Do we think Donald Trump will be a catalyst? No. But certainly Hillary Clinton will not do anything to tie the hands of Wall Street. What we get with Hillary Clinton is we get this incremental change, this Dodd-Frank reform where it's better than nothing, but it's still not going to fundamentally change the system. And that's frustrating because I'm tired of incremental Democrats. At the pace that this country is going down the tubes, we need more than incrementalism. We need fundamental change. And Hillary Clinton is not going to give us that. But you opted for her rather than Bernie Sanders. So, I mean, I'm glad that you're being realistic saying that, you know, he, he should be investigated, potentially jailed. But I can't help but think if you really want to change, you could have done that. Bernie Sanders would have at least fought to tie the hands of these crooks, both literally and figuratively, because, you know, he said, if you commit fraud, you go to jail. He publicly stated that Wall Street should be afraid of him and that the business model on Wall Street is waste, fraud and abuse. You didn't choose that guy. You chose Hillary Clinton. So, I mean, what you're doing, yeah, it's important, but let's be honest, it's still political theater. So, I'm not going to completely praise you for this. I am thankful that you did this. Somebody has to do it, but just from you, I believe in you. So, I mean, this doesn't mean much to me now. It doesn't mean as much, certainly, as it did before, because I thought you would have endorsed Bernie and you didn't do that. So, that's why progressives are so frustrated with you and why... You know, this isn't much to be excited about because unless you opt for a candidate and are willing to stand up for a candidate that wants to change the system, all you're going to get is slaps on the wrist for these people who commit fraud on Wall Street. So, you know, I'm still kind of mixed on this. I, I guess that I've been moved more towards Elizabeth Warren in terms of my view being a little bit more positive towards her after this. But at the same time, you know, <laughs> is this going to change the system?
if you publicly shame every single CEO. Well, a PR disaster here and there, you know, it's not going to do much. Hillary Clinton's campaign is in full-on freakout mode after finding out that she loses one-third of millennial voters to third-party candidates. So last week, I told you guys about how she is ramping up the pandering. She is going on Between Two Ferns with Zach Galifianakis, and she's writing these articles that couldn't be more brazen than what she's trying to do to appeal to us by pandering. But now, that's not working, so guess what she's doing? She's bringing out the big guns. Bernie Sanders, take a look. All of you know that New Hampshire is a battleground state. All of you know that this is a very tight election. And in fact, New Hampshire could decide the outcome. So I am asking you here today, not only to vote for Secretary Clinton, but to work hard to get your uncles and your aunts to get your friends to vote. If anybody tells you that this election is not important, you ask them why the Koch brothers and Sheldon Adelson and other billionaires, why they are spending hundreds of millions of dollars to elect their candidates. This election is enormously important for the future of our country. It is imperative that we elect Hillary Clinton as our next president. Our nation used to lead the world in the percentage of young Americans with college degrees. We were number one. Today, we are number 15, and that is not acceptable. And that is why Secretary Clinton and I understand that in today's world, when we talk about public education, it's no longer good enough to talk about the first grade through high school. That was good. That was wonderful 30 or 40 years ago. It is not enough today. And today, when we talk about public education, it must mean making public colleges and universities tuition-free for the middle class and working families of this country. Now, during the campaign, primary campaign, Secretary Clinton had some very strong proposals. I had a different approach. But we came together after the campaign and reached an agreement that says that every family in this country earning $125,000 or less, that is 83% of our population, should be able to send their kids to public colleges and universities tuition-free. So I have two observations after watching this. One is that the pandering hasn't stopped. You see the debt-free college everywhere because uh, she's really trying to let these millennials know, hey, debt-free college right here. So she's ringing a bell. Debt-free college, debt-free college. Everyone vote for me. Don't vote for third-party candidates. <laughs> so that, that's the first observation. But the second observation is that 
everything that they told us about third parties is wrong. See, because we're often told that if we're voting third party, it's a wasted vote or it's a protest vote, when in actuality it's not a protest vote, you're just voting for someone who you agree with. But here's where they're wrong. This video is demonstrable evidence that your vote for a third party candidate matters a lot. After spending all summer courting Republicans and neoconservatives and war criminal endorsements, when Hillary Clinton finally found out that she was losing a substantial amount of millennial voters and didn't just have them unlocked like she thought, look what she had to do. She had to immediately reverse course. Now she's talking about debt-free college and whatnot. So, I mean, if Jill Stein didn't pose a threat to Hillary Clinton, she would continue to court neoconservatives and Republicans. But the fact that Jill Stein is becoming an increasingly large thorn in Hillary Clinton's side proves our point that third-party candidates matter because we're voting for the party and communicating to Democrats that we want you to be like her. We want you to be like Jill Stein. If you're not like her, you don't get our votes. You don't automatically have our votes unlocked. And Hillary Clinton was very arrogant. She thought that she did have our votes no matter what. Now, towards the end of the primary, when it looked like Hillary Clinton would win, I insisted that she wasn't going to have all of Bernie Sanders supporters no matter what. Take a look at what I said. Now, in spite of the condescension and the relentless smears that have come from her campaign, they still always talk about the need to unite the party. And in fact, Hillary Clinton said she actually thinks that Bernie's younger supporters will coalesce around her come November. So she states, I think I'll make the case, and from everything I've seen, both personal conversations and research that has been done, just as it was with me when I dropped out, you know, the vast majority of Senator Sanders' young supporters will look at the choice. The choice will be pretty stark if either of the two leading Republican candidates become the nominee, and I'm confident that we'll all join together. I'm sure some will, but most probably won't, Hillary. I told you so, I told you so, I, I, I told you so, I told you so, I told you so. Look, they can't blackmail us anymore. The, the gig is up. We know that there are other options out there, and we're pursuing those other options. Not a whole lot of us, but enough of us to scare the hell out of the Democrats. Now, here's what Hillary Clinton doesn't understand. When she's talking about debt-free college and whatnot, I don't really care what she's saying. I care what she does. So if she's elected and plans to run for a second term, then she actually has to be liberal. Otherwise, guess what? I'm voting third party again. So it's not what you say, Hillary Clinton. You've done enough stuff to make us not believe a single word that comes out of your mouth. So you have to do more than speak. You have to actually walk the walk. Now look, I want to reiterate the fact that if you are one of the individuals that supported Bernie Sanders during the primary and are now begrudgingly voting for her just to defeat Donald Trump, I can respect that, right? I can respect that type of protest vote. It's strategic. You can do what you want to do. It's your vote. I respect what you want to do. And I know that Bernie Sanders is only campaigning for her because he wants to defeat Donald Trump. I don't believe he's a sellout, and I can respect that as well. But here's my question to Bernie Sanders. Does Hillary Clinton really deserve to have you as a surrogate after she collaborated with the DNC to destroy your campaign? Bernie, why don't you ask her why she doesn't think that healthcare is a right? Ask her why she only started supporting the idea of debt-free or tuition-free college recently. Was it just to get you to endorse her and drop out, or does she actually care about it? Is she only talking about that now because she wants our vote? 
ask her, Bernie. I, I want to know. These are questions that I have. Why don't you ask Hillary Clinton why she doesn't want to legalize marijuana? Ask her why she wants to prosecute Edward Snowden. Ask her why she supports fracking. And look, that's what I want you to ask her. But here's what I want you to tell her, Bernie Sanders. If you're watching this, I have no idea if you're going to see this. Why don't you tell her this? Tell her that we don't believe a single word that she says. You can have debt-free college plastered everywhere. You can tattoo it on your forehead. But we don't believe you actually want that. We don't believe you'll fight for that policy when you're in office. Had she advocated for this policy at the beginning of her campaign and not as a means of getting you to just drop out and endorse her, I think it was something she actually gives a shit about. And here is the main problem with Hillary Clinton. It's the trust issue that we have that is... It's honestly irreconcilable. I mean, that's what is keeping millennials from supporting Hillary Clinton. Because let's say, hypothetically speaking, that we all of a sudden support Hillary Clinton and we believe that uh, she is going to fight for debt-free college and she somehow convinces us to get on board. All this talk of debt-free college would then go away when she no longer thinks she needs to earn our vote. And she'd almost immediately... Go back to courting Republicans. And look, that's fine. Win over as much votes as you think you can. But the problem lies with the fact that Hillary Clinton will turn into a completely different person in order to win. See, you're just inconsistent, Hillary. You take political positions for purposes of political expediency and will never truly know where you actually stand. So you're just disingenuous, Hillary. And I don't think that there's really anything that you can do at this point in time to win back the millennials that you lost. Maybe apologize to them for destroying Bernie Sanders' campaign and colluding with the DNC. How about you start there? As of late, Bernie Sanders has been campaigning his ass off for Hillary Clinton. And when I go through and read message boards and Reddit comments from Democratic Party loyalists, they're still claiming that he's not doing enough for her. For one, you shouldn't say that because he's doing everything that he can for a terribly flawed candidate. And two, if my opponent rigged the primary against me, I don't think I'd be a big enough person to try to help them win after that. I'd say, you know what? Screw you. You're on your own. But yet, Bernie Sanders is still doing what he can to help Hillary Clinton in spite of this when he shouldn't be. I don't think he should be a surrogate for Hillary Clinton. Almost all of his supporters don't think he should act as a surrogate after what she did to him in the primary and has yet to apologize for. Not acceptable. So Bernie Sanders shouldn't be campaigning for Hillary Clinton, yet... He's still advocating for her relentlessly, and he addressed some of his diehard supporters who are Bernie or Busters, and uh, he had a message for them about Hillary Clinton. Take a look. My message is that people have got to get beyond personality, and they've got to take a hard look at the issues that impact the lives of middle class and working class people. That's what this campaign is really about. And I think if you look at the issues whether it is making public colleges and universities tuition-free, dealing aggressively with climate change, raising the minimum wage, overturning this disastrous Citizens United Supreme Court decision, on all of those issues and many more, Hillary Clinton's positions are far, far, far superior to Donald Trump. And I personally am going to do everything that I can to make sure that Trump does not become president of the United States. I love Bernie, but... Come on, man. You're fundamentally misunderstanding why many of your supporters are not willing to unite behind Hillary Clinton in the first place. It has nothing to do with her personality because this probably is logic. He's probably thinking, look, she has the policy positions now. She adopted debt-free college. So clearly, if they don't support her now, they just dislike her because of her personality. Bernie, of all people, you should understand this. We don't trust her. We don't believe a single word that comes out of her mouth 
okay? If Hillary Clinton decided to sign on to universal healthcare, debt-free college, and literally just adopt all of your platform, would that mean millennials would support her? No, probably not, because they don't believe it. They know that she's just trying to pander to them, trying to court them to get them to vote for her. So you can't tell me that you're going to jump aboard this bandwagon and imply that it's because her personality that we don't support her or because of sexism or whatever. No, it's all substantive reasons. See, you can ask a Hillary Clinton supporter why they're voting for Hillary Clinton and why they supported her during the primary, and they'll say she's qualified. They can't really list you any specific policies. What about her policies do you like? What is she going to do for you? <laughs> she's going to make it a little bit easier for us to live, I think, versus, um, I don't know, okay. the things that aren't going on now. I followed her since the first time she ran. Mm -hmm. It's not just because she's a woman, I believe she's the best experience. And everything that Donald Trump says and does, it's, it's fearful to me. I'm afraid for the younger generation, and he's sending the wrong message that whoever has the most money wins. And I don't think that that's what it's about. Do you think that she'll stop fracking or she'll continue? Or it doesn't matter? I think she'll do what's right in, in terms of we're the frack and we're not the frack. Okay. Hillary just definitely has a lot more experience and she I was can to know everything, but do a lot like as a woman in a presidential position. But if you ask someone who's burning your bust, who's a Jill Stein supporter, why they can't support Hillary Clinton, all we have are policy specifics. I don't like the fact that she decided to fight against universal health care once her palms were greased by the health insurance industry. I don't like the fact that she pushed to get the minimum wage in Haiti to go lower than they were fighting for. I don't like that she's against legalizing marijuana. I don't like that she's wavering on a $15 minimum wage and that she didn't support it in the first place. I don't like her hawkish military policies. All I can list are policy reasons. When it comes to personality, I don't give a shit about that. You could be the worst person ever, have the worst personality ever. I don't care if you don't have the policies if i don't believe that you're going to carry out the policies that you say you will i have no reason to vote for you i'm going to vote for jill stein so you know it's it's frustrating that bernie sanders is the one saying that or implying that uh, you know we're against clinton because of her personality i couldn't care any less about clinton's personality i would vote for someone with trump's personality if they had jill stein's policies it's all about the policies to me you know if i believe that you care about progressive issues then you're gonna have my support no matter what but personality bernie we don't care about that and you know we don't care about that so by saying this you're kind of just grasping for straws here after spending the entire summer courting the endorsements of war criminals such as Henry Kissinger and John Negroponte, Hillary Clinton had to do a complete 180 and reverse course because one demographic that she previously thought she had unlocked, no matter what, millennials, she realized that she doesn't. So after learning that one third of millennials are opting for third party candidates rather than Hillary Clinton, She's realizing that she now has to move back to the left and pretend to be liberal again in order to win us back. Hmm, if only she had listened to us when we said that you don't have our votes no matter what. I am winning. I am winning. But anyways, uh, there's one more demographic that Hillary Clinton doesn't have unlocked that she once thought she had unlocked no matter what. African-American voters 
particularly in the state of Florida, which is a key swing state in this election. So Politico explains, to kill Donald Trump's chances of capturing the White House, Hillary Clinton needs to win Florida. And to do that, she needs a big minority turnout. But Democrats are beginning to worry that too many African-American voters are uninspired by Clinton's candidacy, leading her campaign to hit the panic button this week and launch an all-out blitz to juice up voter enthusiasm. Hillary Clinton's campaign is in panic mode. Full panic mode, said Leslie Wimes, a South Florida-based president of the Democratic African American Women Caucus. They have a big problem because they thought Obama and Michelle saying, hey, go vote for Hillary would do it. But it's not enough, Wimes said, explaining that too much of the black vote in Florida is anti-Trump rather than pro-Clinton. In the end, we don't vote against somebody, we vote for somebody. Yeah, I mean... Can you blame them? After your super predator comment, after your role in mass incarceration, is it really unreasonable for them to not trust you? And there's a reason why people like Erica Garner and Cornel West and civil rights activists are opting for Jill Stein rather than the Democratic Party. It's because they betrayed them once, they betrayed them to what? How many times did they have to betray them before they realized that the Democratic Party doesn't actually care about them? And this is an ongoing trend. So, I mean, the gig is up. We all are finding out that the Democratic Party doesn't give a shit about any of their constituents unless they're very, very wealthy. And that's a problem. And it's causing many of us to migrate over to third parties, namely the Green Party. So if you're surprised that you don't have a demographic on lock who you only claim to care about every time an election comes around, you shouldn't be surprised. And look, this isn't just speculative. According to the DNC leaks by Gucci for 2.0, the Democratic Party revealed their true feelings about issues that are important to African Americans and progressives generally speaking. So in a memo, to House Democratic candidates, they said don't offer support or concrete policy positions to Black Lives Matter. So in other words, what you want to do is continue to just pat the heads of your African-American constituents and say, don't worry, I care about you. Trust me, I care about you. But meanwhile, you don't actually want to offer them concrete policy concessions. I mean, you said not to do that. So now you're surprised that they don't want to vote for you? I just, it doesn't make sense to me that you would be shocked at this. This should just be common sense. And I'm surprised that you're not losing more voters because of this, because the way that you've treated them is unacceptable. So don't be surprised when you lose this demographic and more demographics when they inevitably find out that the Democratic Party obviously doesn't care about them and only talks about their issues once every four years. The residents of Flint, Michigan have been dealing with a lead contamination crisis in their water supply now for more than two years. And amid this crisis, they're still going to work, they're still paying their taxes, and part of those tax dollars is going to fund the salaries of people within Congress. So you would expect them to get at least a small bit of representation, right? Not at all. So Common Dreams explains U.S. House leaders on Tuesday night struck a deal to allow a vote on an amendment adding $170 million in infrastructure spending under the Water Resources Development Act to help Flint and other cities with water emergencies. The agreement followed days of tense talks and came after Senate Democrats earlier on Tuesday blocked a vote to advance a stopgap spending bill to keep the government running after Friday, citing the GOP's refusal to include funding for Flint. The legislation does include emergency flood assistance for Louisiana, West Virginia, and Maryland. So there's a lot going on, so let me just recap. So Republicans tried to pass a stopgap spending bill in order to prevent the government from shutting down, but that bill 
didn't include this $170 million in funding to go to Flint to help them fight this lead contamination crisis. So the Democrats said, no, if, if you don't include funding, then the government is going to shut down because we're not going to pass it. So they had to come to some type of agreement and a compromise, right? So this was the shitty compromise that they reached. Republicans said, okay, how about this? In two months after the election is over, and we don't have to worry about our electoral prospects, we'll just allow a vote on it. We're not going to guarantee that, you know, the, these residents who are drinking poison water, 100,000 people, are going to get any relief. We're not going to guarantee it, but we'll at least allow you to vote on it. And rather than continuing the fight against an immoral Republican Party, Democrats said, cool, this is a victory, awesome. So, I mean, the correct response is to be outraged because the residents of Flint, Michigan have to wait even longer because even if they do vote, to send them this $170 million. It's not guaranteed that this vote will even pass, but even if they do vote, it's not going to immediately make the water potable like that. I mean, it's still going to take time. It's not just when they vote, relief will come immediately. It's still going to take time for them to go through and change the pipes and whatnot. So they're not looking at relief for a long time, if any. So it's just ridiculous. And think about how incompetent our Congress is. Whenever any sort of compromise is reached, it's touted as a victory, and this is no different. So let me show you some of the headlines. Washington Post reads, Congress acts to avert government shutdown after striking deal on Flint aid. Kind of a lack of a deal. Uh, and in that article, Nancy Pelosi was literally quoted saying, We have sent a message of hope to the people of Flint. While we prefer to deliver those funds to the children in this spending bill, we're at least on a path to meaningful action. Oh, I'm sure they're so hopeful knowing that in several months down the line, you know, maybe you guys will choose to vote to fund relief for them. <laughs> How hopeful. Another headline, CNN says, Congress passes bill to avoid government shutdown. Doesn't even mention Flint in the headline. Real Clear Politics states, Flint funding deal may avert shutdown. New York Times, Congress approves spending bill averting government shutdown. So everybody cares about the government shutdown. Nobody cares about Flint. Now, am I saying that I want there to be a government shutdown? Absolutely not. I think there should never be a government shutdown. But if there's any time when I think Democrats should continue to fight, and even if it means it's going to lead to a government shutdown, now is the time to do it because potable drinking water is a human right. The residents of Flint shouldn't have to wait until November to see whether or not Congress will pull your heads out of your own asses and fund relief for them, which should be a no-brainer, which should have been done months ago. Ridiculous. Now, here's the accurate headline from Common Dreams. Both parties in Congress agree Flint can wait a few more months for clean water. That's the real story here. That's the story. And look, it doesn't even have to lead to a government shutdown because just like last time, a government shutdown would inevitably harm Republicans more than Democrats. So, I mean, Democrats, you're on the right side of history. You can take this fight to the public and say, hey, do you see what they're doing? They don't want to fund aid to Flint, Michigan. They have non-potable drinking water. There's lead in their water and Republicans are saying they don't want to do jack shit about it. They're going to cause the government to shut down because they're not being reasonable. You can make this case and the American people would be with you because you're unreasonable if you don't think American citizens should have access to clean drinking water, yet Democrats chose to run away. I mean, I guess you get one or two claps since you kind of fought. You didn't, you know, vote on the stopgap bill right away. But I mean, is this really a good compromise to where you delay aid to Flint? Because any delays is a victory for Republicans. So you just keep allowing them to bully you and push you around and you don't do shit. And then you complain when we don't want to vote for you, when we want to vote for Green Party members unbelievable. It's just crazy to me. Now, again, let me just reiterate what's at stake here. 
clean drinking water for American citizens. Water, let me remind you, is something that you need to live to survive. You can't wait until after the election to decide whether or not 100,000 people should have clean drinking water. How many more years are they going to have to wait? So, I mean, if you can't even provide people with basic resources, why are you in Congress? Who are you representing? You're not representing the American people. And think about how terrible the Republican Party is. Why is anyone voting Republican? They don't want to send aid to Flint, Michigan. Okay, well then how about this? Until that aid is sent to them, how about they only should be allowed to drink the water from Flint? I mean, it it looks pretty gnarly, doesn't it? They wouldn't want to drink this water. I know that if it was their water that was impacted, they would definitely send funding right away to fix it. But since it's these residents in Flint, Michigan, they don't give a shit. It's not D.C. It's not them that's being affected by this, so they don't care. And I mean, the Democrats, you know, they'll pay lip service. They'll be on the right side of the issue technically, but are they really willing to fight as if the residents of Flint, as if their lives depended on it? No, they're not. They showed that right now. No negotiations. You don't negotiate with them. You say, no, we vote on it right now or we shut down and we blame you. That's what you do. But they don't want to do it. Democrats are spineless. They're cowards. They don't want to fight. This is a winning strategy. You have an election and you're allowing Republicans to postpone it until after the election. Which constituents, let me know, what congressman or woman constituents is going to blame someone for voting to fund relief for Flint? It's mind-boggling to me, and nobody can get this story right besides Common Dreams. The real story here is that Congress is delaying aid to Flint. There's no victory. I don't give a shit if the government is shut down or not. I just want them to have clean drinking water. Because at the end of the day, regardless if the government is active or shut down, these people are still not able to drink water that's clean, that's potable, that's not contaminated with lead, and that's immoral. So the last time we talked about the Dakota Access Pipeline protests, we learned that Barack Obama had halted the construction of the pipeline. And although this was a victory, it was a short-term one because the halting of the construction is something that's only temporary. So it's not a permanent solution. So with that being said, the Standing Rock Sioux Tribe are still protesting as much as possible, as though their lives depended on it, because in many ways it does, because this pipeline threatens their drinking water as well as the drinking water of millions of citizens in North Dakota. Now, I have a really disturbing update about this story. So, Common Dreams explains 21 water protectors were arrested in North Dakota on Wednesday after a military-style raid interrupted a peaceful prayer ceremony at a Dakota Access Pipeline construction site. Hundreds of demonstrators have been taking part in the prayer ceremony in recent days, according to the Red Warrior Camp, traveling to sacred sites that are being threatened by the pipeline construction. Beginning Tuesday with the ancestral site where private security guards unleashed attack dogs on unarmed protesters earlier this month, construction was halted Tuesday as a result of the peaceful demonstration. On Wednesday, police helicopters and a circling crop duster followed the caravan of cars south of Mandan, North Carolina. Now, when the police got there, they arrived in military vehicles wearing riot gear. Now, there are numerous reports of excessive force against these protesters. There are shotguns being pointed at their faces, at the faces of women and children, according to Censored News blog, and they even used tear gas against the protesters. Whoa, 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 he's got a gun drawn. 
He's got a gun drawn. He's pointing it at people. We have no weapons! 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 We have no they just put the gun the bullets in the gun. We have no weapons! We are unarmed! They said that the road's open, but it's not. They still have it blocked. We're arresting everybody now. Everybody's running. We had a really nice ceremony, and then we looked, and um, over that way, and the police, there was a few police, and the next thing I knew, there were like 40 police, and they were all dressed in riot gear. We did exactly what we were told to do, except the ones who were in the road, just to tell everybody, keep moving, keep moving, keep moving, and I've never in my life seen a gun in real life, and, and, and I've never had a gun pointed at me, and we all went, I went into shock. I think everybody went into shock. Now again, these people are not threatening, they're being non-violent, they're peacefully protesting, they're literally doing a prayer. Yet, the state of North Dakota thought that it was necessary to come in and use excessive force to use violence against these protesters. This is state-sanctioned violence. It's horrible, and if you're appalled by this, you should be. But we all have to be cognizant of the fact that the American government, as well as certain state governments, have a consistent history of treating the Native American people badly. So this is really no different. So I want to share a tweet from uh, Jordan Marie that highlights how the sovereignty and human rights of Native American people has been consistently violated. So as you all can see, clearly this is not a new thing. So how can we help? Well, here's what you can do. You can donate to the Legal Defense Fund to support the 21 protesters that did go to jail. And second, you can share this video, or if you don't want to share the video, if you think more people would click on the article, then share the Common Dreams article that I'll put in the description box because we just need people to hear about this because the media is not talking about the fact that the state of North Dakota is sending in armed state actors to use excessive force against peaceful protesters who rightfully don't want their drinking water poisoned. So hopefully if we make enough noise about this, if we share this, if the story goes viral somehow, then this will shame the North Dakota government and get them to kind of lay off. But we don't know, so we have to try, because I know a lot of you can't go there to protest with the Standing Rock So Tribe, but at least what we can do is do our part by sharing this and making this a thing, so that way hopefully the mainstream media will be forced to cover it, and hopefully the North Dakota state government backs the hell off, because there's no reason why they should be using excessive force and literal violence against people who are peaceful protesters. Again, they're praying. They're not threatening anyone. They're not doing something that would warrant this type of response. So it's just frustrating that 
they think they can get away with it. And right now they are because nobody in the mainstream media is putting scrutiny on the state of North Dakota. But if you shine a light on it and shame them, hopefully we can make a difference. And look, we have to take a stand. We have to stop this pipeline from being constructed. And best believe that the Standing Rock tribe is going to do whatever. And certainly anyone else who's not there or can't be there to protest is going to do what we can to help as well because this is it's unacceptable. As of the 9th of September, inmates in prisons across the country kicked off a nationwide strike to protest what they are referring to as modern-day slavery. Now, this strike includes prisoners across 12 states in 29 different prisons, and they're all refusing to go to work in an effort to increase their wages and improve working conditions. Now, the magnitude of this is huge. There are 24,000 prisoners across the country participating in this to date, and they're all boycotting the work that prisons required them to do. Now, the question is, why are they fed up with the working conditions in prisons? Because, I mean, we don't really talk about what's going on inside these prisons. It's pretty stark. So, Mother Jones explains that the 13th Amendment to the Constitution abolished slavery, but left an exception for people who have been convicted of crimes. This means that prisoners can legally be put to work for little to no pay. All inmates who are medically able must do mandatory jobs, such as maintenance, cleaning, and kitchen duties. Inmates may be paid for this work, usually between 12 to 40 cents an hour, but some states, including Texas, Arkansas, and Georgia, do not pay inmates at all. So, generally speaking, that's the issue that inmates are facing in prisons across the country, but here's the specifics that make these working conditions just unbearable. So... Work is mandatory. You don't have a choice. And if you refuse to work for literal slave wages, then you can actually be punished. So, for example, if you're a prisoner in Texas, you can be confined to your cell all day if you don't work. Now, there's also no legal recourse for prisoners who are workers. They're not technically considered employees of the state, so federal labor standards don't apply to them, and they can't form a union or really do much if they're dissatisfied with the working conditions. And even though prisoners make 12 to 40 cents an hour, which is nothing, that's still taxable. And depending on the state, up to 80% of that income can go to taxes, and there's also no safety standards for prisoners. Now, you would think that with conditions like this, this has to be something that's going on in a third world country, not the United States, right? The beacon of freedom that we are. No, it's going on here in this country, and nobody wants to talk about it. And I mean, out of all the countries in the world, we have the highest incarceration rate. So, so many people are locked up, and they have to face these terrible working conditions. Now, I know what people are going to say in response. They're going to say, Mike, these are criminals. They did the crime, now they have to do the time. But look, think about it this way. We don't know if these people who are dealing with these bad working conditions are mass murderers. We don't know if they are in there for a low-level drug offense. We don't know. But what we do know is that these are human beings. We have to ask ourselves whether or not we really want to be a nation that completely strips them of all their human dignity. And look, here's the main takeaway. They're not asking for much. They're asking for GED classes and drug rehabilitation programs and fairer working conditions. I think that that's pretty reasonable, right? They're not asking for freedom. They know they did the crime. They're just asking that as they're serving their time, can they at least be treated like humans? I don't think that's too much to ask. Here's the thing. They're not allowed to vote when they're in prison. They have no representation. 
and they have no say or control over their lives. They're basically treated like animals. They're literally treated like animals. So the question is, will this strike lead to any policy changes? So Mother Jones says, so far, no prisons or correctional departments have announced changes as a result of the strike, but ongoing lockdowns could potentially be the breaking point, says Cole Dorsey, an organizer with the Incarcerated Workers Organizing Committee. They can't run the prison just with guards alone. That will be the important part. So, you know, to kind of respond to these prisoners, they're doing lockdowns and they're trying to punish them, but that's true. The prison runs with the labor of inmates, too. So hopefully this will lead to some policy change. We have no idea. But now this protest is entering its third week and to everyone protesting, we're with you. Progressives are with you because not only should prisoners be allowed to vote, they should be subject to the Fair Labor Standards Act. They should have fair and safe working conditions. This is something that should be unquestionable. We shouldn't even be debating whether or not we treat human beings like human beings. They're not asking for much, they're just asking to be treated a little bit better. I think we can afford to do that. So in perhaps the weirdest news story of the week, Pepe the Frog is an internet meme that has officially been designated as a hate symbol by the Anti-Defamation League. So according to Know Your Meme, in 2005, artist Matt Fury created the comic series Boys Club, which stars the teenage monster characters Pepe, Brett, Andy, and Landwolf. In early 2008, a comic in which Pepe pulls his pants down to his ankles in order to urinate was popularized on 4chan's B random board, along with the expression, feels good man. But what was once an innocent meme has now been corrupted, and now the Anti-Defamation League is contending that this frog is so hateful that it's as offensive as the swastika and confederate flag. So CNN explains, recent appropriations of the smirking green frog as Adolf Hitler, a Klansman, and numerous racist caricatures have earned him a spot in the Anti-Defamation League's database of hate symbols. Once again, racists and haters have taken a popular internet meme and twisted it for their own purposes of spreading bigotry and harassing users, Jonathan A. Greenblatt, ADL CEO, said in a statement. These anti-Semites have no shame. They are abusing the image of a cartoon character, one that might at first seem appealing to harass and spread hatred on on social media. Now here's the kicker that I think makes this really weird. So the designation does not apply to all Pepe memes because most of them are not bigoted in nature, the ADL said. You'll likely know one when you see one. So the question now is how the hell are you supposed to know whether or not a Pepe meme is racist or not racist? Well, I'll show you, and for those listening on iTunes, you'll have to kind of follow along and visualize this. So, a picture of Pepe's face. Not racist. Nazi Pepe? That's racist. Weed Pepe? Not racist. A Hitler version of Pepe? That would be racist. Here's my reaction to this. Let's all take a deep breath. Let's all calm down. This is just a cartoon frog. This is a trap that right-wingers set up and liberals walked right into it. They're going to use this as an example that we're just too politically correct. You know, we're getting offended by everything. And look, if we have to declare Pepe the Frog as a hate symbol because people can twist it and make it corrupt, then guess what else we have to declare as hate symbols? Harambe. Neckbeards. My Little Pony. Trump's face. Hillary Clinton's face, 
using that criteria, almost anything can be declared a hate symbol. You can take anything and Photoshop a swastika on it, and then that's a hate symbol. So, I mean, this sets up an almost impossible standard to where almost any and everything can be considered a hate symbol that's offensive. I just, I'm sorry, I have to disagree with this. And look, here's a question that I have. What's the upshot here? I mean, if anyone tweets out a meme of Pepe, should we label them as a racist? Should we be offended by them? What this does is it sets up a slippery slope whereby we are becoming more and more like the language police where we are trying to censor arts and symbols and we want to dissuade people from exp expressing themselves with a meme or whatever because it's offensive. It's a hate symbol. So if you use Pepe, then uh, you're a bigot. And look, Katy Perry has tweeted out pictures of Pepe and other celebrities and whatnot. And so people probably don't even know. But I mean, look, the point is that you can twist any and everything you want and make it racist or homophobic or whatever. And that doesn't necessarily mean that you can generalize whatever image or symbol is there. Of all the policy solutions that we could potentially implement to improve the lives of disadvantaged communities, we're choosing to focus our efforts on a cartoon frog. So, I mean, this is something that you kind of have to pin the blame on the SJW movement. Well, if you look at the political compass, most progressives and liberals would probably fall into the bottom left quadrant as libertarian leftists. SJWs, or social justice warriors, fall into the upper left quadrant and would be considered as authoritarian leftists. Because while libertarian leftists believe gay people, for example, should have equal rights and should be able to marry the person that they love since it's something that doesn't affect other people, they also believe that people like the Westboro Baptist Church should be able to protest and speak out against that. Whereas SJWs will agree with the premise that LGBT people should have equal rights, but they'll say that we should not allow people to speak out against equal rights. And am I saying that I agree with the Westboro Baptist Church and that they're good people? No, I'm not. But what I'm saying is that I'm in favor of freedom of speech because it's really important in a democratic society. Because think about this. If we start trying to police and ban things that are offensive, then as a gay man, I would never have rights because the gay people that protested before I was born, anything that they said was considered as offensive. I mean, if you were gay and you wanted to speak out, you would be considered a pervert. They would think that you were gross and it would be very offensive to people. And people did speak out against it. But if we ban those people... There'd be no protest, there'd be no stonewall, we would never actually have gay rights. So the thing is that if you're going to allow freedom of speech, then you have to be absolute. You have to allow everyone to be able to speak their mind regardless of how offensive their speech might be. Because if you don't, then you can never have progress in a democratic society. If we start banning things, and if we start trying to police people and what they say then we can't have these really constructive conversations. The overall takeaway is that we can't start getting offended by a cartoon frog because we're just allowing conservatives to make fun of us and say that we're too politically correct, we're too sensitive and whatnot. And look, I'm not one that is saying that, you know, these conservatives who make fun of SJWs constantly aren't sensitive themselves because I have someone, my brother, he's a Tea Partier, and he is one of those anti-PC police people. He constantly says that the left is too sensitive. But for me, as an atheist, if I say that God doesn't exist or make fun of Jesus, then he gets offended. So, I mean, look, we can't set up this slippery slope. We can't create this new standard to where if you put a racist hat on a cartoon frog, that's a hate symbol. And I get the importance of symbolism, but we just have to really pick and choose our battles carefully. And if we start really trying to police art and symbols and language, then that just sets up a slippery slope. And 
I, you know, I can't help but think that this is just ridiculous. So when people do make fun of the left for things like this, you know, I can't really defend them. So, I mean, at the end of the day, this is only a cartoon frog. We have to calm down. If you see a meme of Pepe that offends you, click X, close your eyes. Don't try to shut down people from sharing it, okay? There's going to be bigots. There's going to be people who are offensive. And that's just kind of one of the consequences of living in a free society. The point is that we maintain that freedom for everyone because what's offensive to one person is not going to be offensive to someone else. So me being gay is offensive to many Christians. Should they be able to shut me down? No, they shouldn't. If we're going to have freedom, we have to have freedom across the board. That's the bottom line. So you guys sent in some voicemails this week from thehumanistreport.com, so I thought that I would play a couple of them on the program. So the first one is from Liam Batchelor. Mike, I just want to say that you are an amazing person, and I always look forward to listening to what you have to say. And my accent probably sounds weird, because... I'm a New Zealander, and I'm nowhere near America, but it's nice to stay in touch with what's going on. Thanks for everything. Thank you so much. Uh, you're the amazing person, and your accent does not sound weird. It sounds really cool, actually. All right, so getting to the second uh, voicemail, this one is from L. Hi, Mike. This is L speaking. I have watched your video about Hillary Clinton's guest's death rate in attempts to curb millennials, and... I'm very mad at you, mad, 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 because you are giving her free advice for brainwash teenagers, uh, journals, brains to vote for her. I don't get it. I mean, you are going to vote for Jill Steinhoff and nobody wants her. We know everything about her. She's a fake, she's a fraud, she's a criminal. That's all. And keep keep going with your um, humanist report. And bye. All right, so fair enough. And I think the real question is whether or not Hillary Clinton is even watching the program and taking my advice. I don't think that she is. But for me, I, I'm not necessarily... Uh, saying what she should do to win us over because I like Hillary Clinton. I'm just kind of speaking out of frustration when I critique her strategy. And I do the same thing for Donald Trump as well because I kind of sit back and I witness this incompetence that's just unprecedented, in my opinion. And Democrats, too, they just keep getting more and more incompetent, and they wonder why they're losing voters. So, I mean, my goal is to educate people in the Democratic Party. Are they listening? Probably not. I mean, my criticism of Bernie Sanders... You know, the mainstream media picked it up, but will that happen again? Maybe, but I mean, it's really unlikely, I think, that they're actually hearing me out. So if it is the case that Hillary Clinton or members of the Democratic Party hear my criticism and they think, oh, this is good advice, I think that's a good thing. If Republicans hear my criticism and think, wow, this is good advice too, I think that that's a good thing because anything that I can do, I'm doing it in hopes of making these political parties who I see as very incompetent and unrepresentative of their constituents more representative of us. So if they stop accepting donations, if Hillary Clinton chooses to take my advice and stop accepting donations... I mean, I think this is good because, I mean, if she is elected, then I want her to be as representative as possible. Do I think she will be? No, I don't. But, I mean, if any little bit might help, then, you know, a win is a win. I care more about the policy than the people. So, if Democrats 
hear my criticism, which I don't think they do, but if they hear it and they think this guy has some good ideas, then I consider that a win-win, but other people may look at it as me giving them free advice. And I think that's a perfectly legitimate criticism, but just know that I'm not trying to be hell. I dislike many of these people. We'll just put it that way. But I'm trying to affect change. And so I think if they listen to me and they take my advice on how to become more representative and win over voters, they'll see that that works and they'll want to be more representative of voters and hopefully we can get the ball rolling. That's just wishful thinking. But in the end, I just like these people. And mostly when you're hearing me uh, tell Hillary Clinton what she should be doing to win over millennials, you're hearing me kind of rant about just a terrible campaign that she's running. But, you know, that that's my thoughts. Comment down below if you guys agree or disagree uh, and tell me if you think that L has a good point. Uh, so, yeah, keep sending the voicemails. I really like them. Well, that's all the stories that I have time to cover this week. Uh, I expanded the episode, made it bigger. Hopefully, you guys enjoyed that. Uh, this was a lot. Uh, so... I don't know if I'll do this again next week because I don't know if I'll have time to edit all this and put it together, but hopefully you guys enjoyed it because this is kind of a test run. But anyways, thank you guys all for tuning in. I have to send a special thank you to the members, the Patreon patrons, and anyone who donates through humanistreport.com. And if you purchase one of these shirts, thank you as well because we do get commission from that. So I appreciate you guys tuning in every single week. Have a nice day. See you next week. 